Before I start this episode, I just want to point out that it was recorded quite some time before it was released, as I'd arranged to go away. So some of the content may have changed in this interim period. I've been keeping my fingers crossed that not too much will have changed. As always, thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Cheers. Over to you, Gareth. This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne, and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Hurrah! We finally got a game or two to look forward to. Little did we know that when we travelled to Pristina in Kosovo back on the 17th of November 2019, did we think that we'd have to wait this long to see the boys again? Games against Italy. Denmark, Romania and Austria were scheduled, then cancelled. The European Championships of 2020 were postponed until next year. Now finally come the 5th of September, it will be 293 days since Kosovo and the team will take to the field again, away in Reykjavik, Iceland. Sadly though, as I'm sure you're well aware, UEFA have advised supporters will not be allowed into the stadiums of Iceland or Denmark, who we play, a few days later on the 8th. Obviously, as soon as these fixtures were announced, we all got excited about going to the likes of Iceland. And it's likely we'd have only had a small allocation. Many would have missed out anyway. Flights got changed, rearranged, cancelled. But it's not going to be. Fair? Unfair? UEFA have decided. So I guess this is an unfair way of being fair. We all miss out. This period of time, 293 days, is the longest we, England, have gone without a game since the war years and surpasses a period in 1940-41 where we drew against Scotland on the 11th of May 1940 and we didn't play until the 8th of February 1941, again against Scotland and one that we lost. One thing I guess, at least we didn't lose that last game we'd played. Coming up, we'll digest Gareth's squad, which was announced on Tuesday the 25th of August, and we'll speak with Mark Boll from Iceland Football UK Twitter account and Klaus from at Danish Footy on Twitter. As always, thank you for all the feedback on the previous episode, where we spoke with Rich Laverty about the Lioness's new head coach, Serena Weigman, and also CJ Joyner, who updated us on Block 109. That, and indeed all previous episodes, including the one where we spoke with Chris Temple, the stadium announcer at Wembley, and the one about the England Sea Team, well, they're all in all the usual places. And if you happen to be passing the likes of iTunes, when you have a moment, why not pop a rating and a comment on there? It helps keep the podcast fresh in people's minds. Why not give it a share too? Tell your mates. Now we have a bit of a chequered history against both Iceland and Denmark. Iceland? Well, we've only ever played them three times. Where we've won one, drawn one, and of course we all know the most recent one, 
which I'm sure we'll touch on at some stage. The first time was actually a friendly back in 1982, away in Reykjavik. This was a bit of a strange one, as according to EnglandStats.com, this was played the day before the Finland friendly match. And originally, this was a B-team match with a B-team selection. But after Iceland managed a brilliant draw, the Icelandic authorities persuaded the FA to classify the game as a full international. And for the likes of Steve Perriman and Paul Goddard, this was good news, as it meant they received an England cap each. However, they never won a second one. The game ended 1-1, with Goddard getting a debut goal. And it was 22 years until we met again, this time in a friendly tournament that also featured Japan, which was played at what was known as the City of Manchester Stadium at the time, Manchester City's home. And it was an FA Summer Tournament in 2004, ahead of that year's European Championships. And the result? England 6, Iceland 1, in a game where Sven famously changed every single player. Nine at half-time, and Paul Robinson and Jamie Carragher during the second half. And goals came from Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney got two, Darius Vassell got two, and one from Wayne Bridge, his one and only England goal. And then, of course, as I say, it was 2016, which saw the end of Roy Hodgson. Denmark, of course, we were due to face them at Wembley earlier in the year, in what would have been the 20th meeting between the two. And we actually have a decent record against the Danes, winning 12 out of the 19, drawing four and lost three. And the most recent meeting was back in 2014 in a friendly, which we won thanks to a late Daniel Sturridge goal. And our last trip to Copenhagen was a few years before in 2011. Again, a friendly, winning 2-1. And I guess the most significant game between the two was the round of 16 match during the 2002 World Cup in Japan, which we won 3-0. Fond memories of that one in Niigata. Bullet trains throughout the night there. There was a conga in the stands. Raining as well, I seem to remember. Now, that last game against Kosovo saw a squad, if you cast your mind back, which featured the likes of Ross Barkley, John Stones, Fabian Delph, Danny Rose, Callum Wilson and Fikayoro Tomori. None of those have been selected 10 months on. In fact, only 15 from that 24 return. Now we know that Gareth was watching games from his front room rather than stadiums and as I mentioned a while back, this squad would be an interesting one because he's previously said about picking players on form and barring the clubs that had European or FA Cup games Premier League teams and players had nine matches to fulfil the season. So based on that, I was expecting to see a few new faces. So let's take a look at his 24, which later in the day was cut to 23. So there were three goalkeepers. Dean Henderson has been on loan at Sheffield United from Manchester United. He had a great season there. Jordan Pickford, an inconsistent season at Everton, it has to be said. And Nick Pope, who had a great season at Burnley. Defenders, Premier League winner Trent Alexander-Arnold. Premier League winner Joe Gomez as well. Eric Dyer 
from Spurs was last capped in the Nations League finals against Switzerland. He gets a recall, uh, as does Michael Keane from Everton, who last played in the loss against the Czech Republic October last year. Harry Maguire of Manchester United. We'll come back to him. Uh, Tyrone Mings of Aston Villa. Kieran Trippier. He played 25 times in his first season with Atletico Madrid. Kyle Walker of Manchester City. Like Eric Dyer, last played against Switzerland in the Nations League last year. Midfielders, Phil Foden. Finally, a Manchester City star gets a call-up. Probably the biggest surprise it's taken this long. Uh, Mason Mount of Chelsea. He was the last England goalscorer. Scored the fourth against Kosovo. And you know what? I may have a fiver on him to get the first against Iceland. Because we all know how football can throw up these funny little anomalies. Calvin Phillips. Another surprise. Uh, Uncapped. He's aged 24, but already played 165 times for Leeds United with 12 goals to his name. A championship winner. And one, well, I'm sure we'll be seeing lots of this coming season. And I'm not ashamed to say I didn't see this one coming. Uh, Declan Rice of West Ham. He's in... James Ward-Prowse of Southampton. He was last capped in the away game to Montenegro in March of last year. Harry Winks of Tottenham, another who was on the score sheet in the 4-0 win in Kosovo. And up front, Tammy Abraham of Chelsea. Mason Greenwood of Manchester United, aged 18 and uncapped. But he has played at under-15, under-17, under-18 and under-21 level for England. Danny Ings of Southampton. Fully deserved, in my opinion. Although well, he may only come on as a sub, but plenty of goals this season proves he can still do it. One previous cap under Roy Hodgson. Away to Lithuania when he came on as a sub. Harry Kane of Tottenham. Needs no introduction, uh, but he has been in a 14-day self-isolation following his holiday to the Bahamas after the UK added it to the quarantine list. But by all accounts, he'll be only ready a couple of days before Iceland. So it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. He's currently got 45 caps. Will he add to his 32 goals? Marcus Rashford of Manchester United. Jaden Sancho who's probably one of the players who's had one of the longer breaks uh, as the Bundesliga started up long before the Premier League. And finally, Raheem Sterling of Manchester City. Liverpool's Jordan Henderson and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Leicester duo Ben Chilwell and James Madison miss out through injury. Now, it's a squad that's represented by three from Manchester United, Spurs and Manchester City, two from Everton, Liverpool, Chelsea and Southampton, and one each from Burnley, Aston Villa, Atletico Madrid, Leeds, West Ham and Borussia Dortmund. Now, it is a squad with an average age of 24.2. It's got 338 caps across it and 65 goals. Gareth Southgate has spoken on the young players and he said, you are always questioning with those young players, when is the right time to move them up? Well, we felt now is a good time. We're a year away from the European Championships and let's see if they can start to break into that team, that squad. 
and it gives us great competition for places and they are realistic challenges. Obviously, there are a few players that can feel a little bit hard done by. Those who didn't make the cut. Chris Smalling had a great season at Roma. Lewis Dunk at Brighton. Wan-Bissaka, Manchester United. But I guess the biggest omission was, of course, Jack Grealish of Aston Villa. And he was trending on Twitter shortly after the whole squad announcement. Now, you can't deny his talent. And he's had a great season at Villa. But my own personal thoughts, and that's all they are, are that Gareth has taken his personality into account and perhaps doesn't think he fits in to his plans. His incident early in the lockdown period I don't think helped, for which he did apologise. Although there is Carl Walker and his lockdown misdemeanours and he's managed to return to the squad. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, I'm just surmising, really. I don't know. But he's clearly frustrated. And he did like a tweet that was put out by Skybet, which mentioned that in the past, Gareth had gone on record as saying that he needed to gain more Premier League experience to earn a call-up. Well, this season gone, he played 36 times and scored eight times. And when you put that up against Calvin Phillips, only experience being in the Championship really doesn't make sense to me to Villa fans, to a lot of supporters. And I'm wondering if now he regrets choosing England over the Republic of Ireland. But in all seriousness, we've got two squads still to be announced this year, in October and November. And injuries and performances permitting, if he doesn't get into either of those, then questions really will have to be asked. But it's not as if the door has been slammed shut in his face. Now we mentioned Harry Maguire. He's been in the news of course, got himself into a little bit of trouble in Mykonos. On the same day as the squad was announced, he received a suspended sentence of 21 months and 10 days in prison. Gareth Southgate picked the squad and said that he'd spoken with Harry and have insight into the story, which is very different to what's been reported. I have no reason to doubt what he's telling me, and it's important he knows he's got my support at this moment. Harry regrets the fact that he's brought this sort of focus and attention to the team. He's apologised for that, but also has his own side of the story. But then following the sentencing that Maguire was given, later in the day, Gareth then announced, In light of this evening's developments, I can confirm I have withdrawn Harry Maguire from the England squad for the matches against Iceland and Denmark. As I said earlier today, I reserved the right to review the situation. Having spoken to Manchester United and the player, I have made the decision in the best interest of all parties and with consideration of the impact on our preparations for next week. Be interesting to see how that pans out over the forthcoming weeks and months. So that's the squad. It'll be interesting to see how Gareth starts that first game, which is against Iceland. It's on the 5th of September. So let's find out a little bit about them. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast from the Icelandic Football UK Twitter account. Hello to Mark Ball. Hello, Mark. Hello. Good to be on your podcast. Yeah, I'm fine. Very welcome on. And immediately, let's just uh, let's just mention it. You are a Scotsman. Yes. 
Yes. Scotsman, but we're, we're going to talk about Iceland. Well, let, let's get it out of the way first. How did, how did this um, interest in Icelandic football come about? Uh, I played uh, against a couple of Icelandic teams in my younger days, in the mid-80s, and I uh, kept in touch with a few of the guys uh, that I played against. And it just went from there. I first went to Iceland in 92. I was over there and, as I say, kept in touch with the guys. More and more people sp- spoke to me about what was going on in Scotland. We'd send videos over at Icelandic football, Scottish football. Back in the VHS days, of <laughs> course, <laughs> there's no such thing as internet as what it is now. But uh, as I say, we kept in contact. Uh, I've got quite a few contacts in Scotland with clubs and we started getting uh, teams coming over and it's it's taken off since and okay. I just started started writing blogs but I was wondering how it would be to actually get into publishing so I started the magazine and uh, we've done four magazines which I travelled the uh, whole of Iceland north, south, east and west and it's, it's got quite a lot of uh, good feedback from around the world so it was quite quite a popular magazine yeah, so this this magazine, which was an online magazine, and which I've seen is 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 a great read, but has resulted in a writing a book about Icelandic football. Yes, uh, I've got a book coming out. Uh, hopefully, it'll be in February twenty twenty one. I've got quite a lot of it uh, penned in so far. Uh, a lot of it's going to be. I get a lot of people asking about clubs, details, statistics, and there's. Icelanders are not very good at keeping everything statistical in one place. It's all on different pages here and there and everywhere. So we'll get a book published and it'll have everything documented from when the league started in uh, 1912 right up to the present date and a lot of information about the Icelandic national team. Uh, I've got some interviews lined up with some of the top players in Iceland for it as well. So it's, it's going to be a mix of everything. Oh, well, lovely. I mean, the book is called 64 Degrees North, isn't it? Icelandic football. Yeah. Um, so and you say that's yeah. due out sort of early next year, did you say? Yeah, it'll be probably January or February. It depends on how long the Icelandic League goes on for this year because I might have a short time to try and turn it over. But I've got most of the stats and everything all done already. So it's just a matter of adding in. But the, the Icelandic FA have turned around and said that they might call the league if they can't get the games played. As long as there's two thirds of the season done, they'll call the league then as winners and relegation will come into force then. Hopefully it'll run right through. Now, well, this is obviously all because of the, the COVID situation. Obviously, there's there's going to be a few England fans travelling over to Reykjavik. What do you know about the situation and procedures with the COVID um, in Iceland? Well, it's changing from week to week as it is in the UK and everywhere else, but I know at the present, for any fans travelling over, they'll have to have a test at the Keplavik Airport, the international airport. They have to get tested on arrival. What will then, the process will probably be, uh, they'll get the results back within three or four hours from what I'm hearing. But if they're staying longer in Iceland, they've got to do a second test. But they'll have to check the... UK government's website, because as I say, there's countries that are on the red list, some are on the green list, and for England fans that might be travelling in from other countries, foreign countries, from Germany or whatever, they'll, just, they'll need to keep up to date with the, the protocol for going to Iceland, because they're, 
I've had a lot of information that there's still going to be a lot of guys going over to Sport Iceland. Yeah. Sport England, sorry. <laughs> yes. Now, we're speaking uh, ahead of when the squad is announced due to both of our availabilities. Uh, mm-hmm. The squad is, you've told me, it's going to be announced Friday the 29th. Yeah. What do we know about about the Icelandic national team? There was the one player that I immediately remembered from recent times was the was the man of the match from that infamous uh, 2016 game, which was was it Ragnar Signarsson? Yeah, is is uh, he still playing? Yes, he's still playing. Uh, Ragnar Sigurdsson, uh, he's out at Copenhagen just now, but he's been carrying an injury. There's getting on to the Iceland team. It's, I really don't know how they're going to set it up here. Uh, there's a lot of guys at the end of their, the twilight of their careers. Uh, Alfred van Bogsen, who's a very important player out in Germany just now, he's just made a comeback in the last few weeks as well. And they've got Aaron Norson, the captain. He's playing out in the Middle East. I think it's in Qatar, I think he's playing at. Is he going to be available to get back? Because he's going to have to fly through... X amount of different countries to actually get to Iceland, so there could be issues again with the quarantine rules. They've got two boys out in Russia just now, Hordar Magnusson, defender and the rising star of Icelandic football in recent years, Anar Sigurdsson. He's only 21, he's with CSK Moscow. But there's been rumours that he could be coming towards English shores in the next year or two. Ah, okay. Very, very promising player. It may be a uh, an Icelandic team that is is really affected by the the current situation with players in quarantine. Yeah, definitely. As I say, most of the Icelandic squad is playing in and around Europe at the present moment. And as we were speaking earlier about the FIFA directive that came out last night about players quarantine from clubs, they don't have to send to players to the national team if they're going to get quarantined for more than five days. That could be a big issue for clubs who are starting European games, some of the lower league countries that uh, the Champions League started already for young, boy, young boys of Bern play tomorrow. So you've got guys that are in playing in the kind of smaller teams in Europe who could be participating in these games. Personally, at the present moment, I, I think... EFA's biting off more than can chew. We have the this uh, Nations League playing with the pandemic that's going on just now. I really think just trying to get club football on and the European games, the European club competitions is big enough without adding more stress for players in the clubs as well if they're going to get stuck in quarantine areas when the clubs are leading them back. So Iceland have only got... Two uh, home-based players who should be in the squad is uh, Hans Halderson, the goalkeeper. He's playing with Valor. And Carrie Armerson, who's playing with Vikinger Reykjavik. But Vikinger Reykjavik, as we were speaking about, are away to a team in Slovenia or Slovakia in a Europe- the Europa League this week. Right. So Carrie's going to have to quarantine for six days when he comes back. It's a it's a real headache for for the manager. Is it Eric Hammond? Hamron? Um, yeah, Eric Hamron. Yeah, because I I didn't realise that because um, Lars Lagerback was a, a the manager yeah. when when we last met, and it's quite a quite a famous name. But he's obviously yeah. no longer there. What what's Eric Hamron 
like? Uh, there's mixed views with him in Iceland. I mean, he's got a, he's got a decent enough uh, rate. He's they've played twenty games. He's got a forty percent win rate. Won eight games, drew five, and lost seven. But I don't think the Icelandic public are consumed with him too much. I, there's something just missing. I don't know. I, it's hard to put my finger on it. Right. I think the Icelandic public, the warm to Lars Lagerback and Heimar Halgrimsson when they were in charge, the football was a bit more attacking and free-flowing, but it's basically still the, the bare bones of the, the old squad, who are a, it's an ageing squad now. Yeah. So it's it's a difficult one to pinpoint exactly. Some of his tactics can be a bit... The way he sets up the team, they usually played 4-4-2 and it's been changing to 5-3-2, 4-4-1-1. But Gilfey is the main man. He'll probably sit in the hole and Gilfey's kind of lost a bit of his oomph last year with Everton as well. There's a lot of fans wanting him out of the club. So it's they've not played together for... When was their last game? I think their last game was in January, but that was just an Iceland uh, B team that went out to America. Okay. So the last major game, I think, was against Moldova before the COVID situation broke in. Yeah. So they've not played for a long while, and there's injuries and stuff in amongst the squad as well. So it's, it's going well, to I be guess every, every national team is going to be in that same boat, aren't they, though? Yeah. 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 I mean, what, what was the... What the, the feeling with the Nations League, with the Icelandic public, because they were the, um, revived, weren't they? They were initially relegated, then UEFA reshuffled. Yeah. And and they were revived after they, I wrote, or I saw they lost to Switzerland. Well, they lost all four of their games, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. All four to Switzerland and Belgium. Yeah. I don't think, <laughs> I think the, to be realistic, I think Icelanders know their team's not good enough to be sitting in that position that they're, they're in just now I think they would, most Icelanders would like to see them being able to try and play a competitive match rather than going out and getting ripped apart by the likes of Belgium or France or whatever it's very very difficult for them to maintain the levels that have achieved over the last few years when they had the, the Euros and then the World Cup I'd, I would say after that World Cup Iceland should have tried to have reach it, rejigged their whole national team with a lot of guys who, as I say, they're at the tail end of their career and they're still playing. Now, Carrie Armstrong's 37, Ragnar Sigurdsson's 34, and that's just some of them that are in there. There's only a few younger ones that are in, but I mean, there is some guys coming through just now. Albert Gudmundsson, who's with AZ Altmar, he's a promising winger, but he can move into a kind of more attacking role as well. And you've got the, the golden boy, Arnar Sigurdsson, who's out at CSK Moscow. They're the two guys that I think Iceland will be basing their team around in the next five or six years because I, I don't know how long they can go with this ageing team and the injuries that are coming with the ages as well. I mean, a lot of the guys, like you've got Johan uh, Gudmundsson, who's out at Burnley. He had a lot of injuries last year as well. And, I was trying to check up the other day to see if he was still injured or if he's coming back. It's just, it's a team I don't know. I think there's going to be a big void with Icelandic national football in the next year or two. The next yeah. next batch of guys that are coming in, I wouldn't say that I've got enough experience to go into national level yet. There's a lot of young boys across Europe who are 21, 22, but they've just not got the experience 
and I would reckon four or five of these guys will probably finished maybe this year. Yeah. So it's, it's it's going to be a tough one for Iceland to maintain the level. It's I, I just can't see it. I think there's going to be a a black spot for maybe two or three years before they can reshuffle and whoever they're going to keep from that aging team just now. They'll probably one or two. It's in their late twenties. They'll be the pioneers of the team, and then they'll have to get the younger guys to kind of build around them. Yeah. But it's going to be a difficult job for a hammering to set up against England because everybody knows England have got such a good team and they're quick on the ball and Iceland will just be playing their usual game. It's hitting, Iceland, uh, hitting England on the counter-attack. That's simple as that. That's just the way it's going to be. Well, we shall, we shall watch and wait and find out. I mean, we know that there's going to be a fair few England fans going out there. What, mm-hmm. what, do you, what can you tell us about Reykjavik? As I say, I've been. It's, it's a lovely place. Mm-hmm. What, what can you tell us about sort of places to go and see food and yeah, drink? Well, well, for drinking, I've, I've got quite a lot of them ask me about the prices of drink. That's <laughs> the usual English guys are wanting their, their pint of lager. You'll find Appy Hour on their, uh, on their phones. Click onto the Appy Hour and get the app. Okay. And that basically tells you what pubs in Reykjavik are doing special prices at any time during the day. So you'll get one pub it's £4 a pint. And you can get pints for reasonable. You'll get them for three fifty, four pound a pint okay. if they if they check. But they might have to do a lot of wandering because a lot of these pubs will only have it for on for two hours or whatever, three hours. But I'm saying if the English are over, there'll be probably quite a lot of them not wanting to do that. Pair and try and get some money due to the COVID carry on. <laughs> but uh, there's been a few asking me about watching the match. Obviously, the game's going to be played behind closed doors. Yes, but. I don't know if you've seen the National Stadium. There's only two sides of it that actually have stands. Yeah. But you can actually see the pitch from behind the goals at either end. We'll be able to see the match from behind the fence. Oh, from, from ground level? Yeah. So there's been a few that have asked about that as well. I think there's another couple of guys who have been to Reykjavik already. They say, though, I'm going to the fence because I've watched a game from there before, kind of thing. So I hope the weather's nice for them. <laughs> Yes, because it can get quite cold, can't it? Yeah. They'll still be able to see the game. I, I dare say there'll be a lot of Icelanders that'll be wanting to go down and see the likes of Sterling and stuff as well, just to see them in the flesh. So it, it could be quite busy. So the police might come in and move them on or whatever. So I don't know how it's going to work, to be quite yeah. honest. Something I was going to speak to you about was uh, there's been quite a an English and Scottish theme behind Icelandic football from the very, very beginning. Okay. I don't know if you know, it was, a, it was a Scottish guy that actually brought football to Iceland. No. In uh, 18, 1888, I think it was. I've actually written about this guy in the book, uh, a John B. Ferguson, a printer from Glasgow. He actually got the Icelanders involved in football. But there's been quite a few over the years. There's been Scottish and Iceland, Icelandic managers of the national team. I don't know, some of the Leicester and Southampton fans might remember a Tony Knapp. Right. From the 70s and 80s. He's had two spells as a Iceland's national coach. The Icelanders always look at the UK football and try to bring a theme over to Iceland to kind of teach the guys their new ways and help them with their development. So there's been quite a big flurry of that over right through the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s. And I guess that's the same with sort of Scandinavian football as well, isn't it? I guess 
I remember having a podcast chat with someone in Norway where English football was the only thing really screened on the telly or sport. Yeah. Um, so a lot of Scandinavian fans have got an English team or Scottish team. You might see it in Iceland. It's it gets my wick to be quite honest. I mean, uh, you've got guys over there who are season ticket holders at my United Liverpool Ipswich. It's crazy. And I say to them, go and watch your local team. Many games have you been to this season to see Keplovic or Valor or KR Reykjavik? I've only been to four games, but I've been to six or seven Liverpool games or nine <laughs> games, and you're going, come on. Yeah. Support your own club. It's, they've got huge fan bases over in Iceland. Absolutely huge. Yeah. And you'll probably see that in uh, some of the pubs as well. There's scarves and pennants that you'll probably find scattered about. There's a pub up next, quite close to the National Stadium, Ulver pub. And it's a sports bar up there as well. So if it's a, a rainy night and the England fans can't get moved on from outside the stadium, it's a five-minute walk away and it's a big sports bar. So they'll be able to get a, a beer in there. And there's a lot of memorabilia for football clubs from all around the world that's in this, this pub. And that's called the well, Over bar. Ulver. Ulver pub. All there. Okay. All well, there. all their sports bar. They'll see it on Google Maps or whatever. Yeah. Sure they'll find it. Uh, okay. And once again, that, what was that app? A Appy Hour. It's just called Appy Hour. A double P Y Hour. Appy Hour. Well, Mark, thank you very much for your time. That book is 64 degrees north, and, and maybe we can speak again um, when, the, when the return leg at Wembley um, yeah, takes place. Certainly can. Yeah. I want, once again, that, that Twitter account is, is just at Mark Bowl, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a Icelandic Football UK at Mark Bowl. That's lovely. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, and yeah, let's speak again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Okay, it's time to welcome our next guest on the Three Lions podcast. He is the owner of the Twitter account at Danish Footy. I'd like to welcome Klaus Ronberg. Hello, Klaus. Hello, Russell. Great to be here. Oh, very welcome. We were due to speak back in March, weren't we? We were. Then some, something happened. I don't know what it was. Something... Oh, if, <laughs> if only we didn't know what it was. Yeah. Oh, we yes. might better, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, of course, England were due to play Denmark at Wembley back in March as the friendly. Um, obviously, it got postponed. But then we were drawn together in the Nations League. So I thought, well, let's time to uh, let's have a chat and see uh, see what, what you know about the Danish team and, and what's going on in Denmark. First of all, just tell us a little bit about at Danish footy. How did that come about? Well, um, the reason I actually created the account was that um, in 2012, I think it was, uh, the Euro for the Under-21 teams uh, came about, and that was in Denmark. And uh, a lot of the Danish journalists didn't write in English or didn't uh, reach out for the journalists in another co- on other countries like uh, Spain, France, Italy, uh, England, you have it. So I created the account, and uh, I started translating some of the uh, news coming out about the Danish teams and Danish players and so on. And uh, just got <laughs> took off from there. And uh, now I'm here eight years later and I'm still doing it. And, uh, Look, we're very grateful for it uh, as well. Thank you. Because uh, otherwise I wouldn't have come across you. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's one of the reasons, right? <laughs> 
Well, it is the uh, it is the Nations League. It's going to get back underway. We're in a uh, in a group that features um, yourselves, England and Iceland. Um, you Denmark were promoted from League B last year up to to League A. Um, after you saw off some some of our local rivals, you beat Wales and drew with the Republic of Ireland a couple of times, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you ask some <laughs> Irish people, I think you would say that. They've played Denmark too many times now. We actually played them in the playoffs as well before going to the uh, World Cup, where we famously won 5-0. We've played some of your neighbours, and now it's time to, to play the, the big side. I mean, uh, we got out to the big group, and now we play. Firstly, we take on Belgium. That's the first game. Uh, and then we take on England. So Yeah. Uh, I mean, the last time that um, we met, I think, was back in 2014, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, but I'm I, I just going to say that we haven't actually played each other that many times if you look at the calendars uh, throughout the years. I mean, if you talk, talk about friendlies, sure. I mean, we played some friendlies against you. I, mean, I remember Christian Eriksen actually got his debut against England. I think it was back in 2010. Oh, you can't, uh, I can't quite remember. Mm. I think it was March 2010, um, where he actually was brilliant, played against another debutant, Jack Wilshire. And the, the I remember being asked the question about uh, is, is, was will it be Jack Wilshire or was it Christian Eriksen? And not to I mean not to gloat or anything, but Christian Eriksen totally stole the show of that one. He almost scored as well and made an assist. I mean that was his breakthrough match or the breakthrough in general in Europe. I think. I mean, I think, uh, think it'd be safe to say he's had a uh, pretty more much of a uh, a longer lasting career than Jack Wilshire as well. Sure, I mean, now we have to see how it fares in Italy, but uh, I think that uh, you can't, I mean, that's the, the beauty of our football, isn't it? You, you see a, a young talent coming through, and then before you know it, he's a star player for your team, and he is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can't say Denmark without taking Christian Eriksen, right? So I think no. that's some of the beauty thing, beautiful things about the game is that you, you start to watch a game, and then you see how it progresses or the way it progresses, and you can directly see, okay, we've got something special here. And then 10 years down the line, he's, well, the first man on the team sheet. So. He is he is the main man, isn't he? And, of course, we uh, we know all about him. He had a, a fair amount of time at Tottenham. And the, the Danish team has been announced. And I had a uh, cast my eye through it. And I was like, oh, recognise you, recognise you. Oh, yeah, forgotten about you, but I do recognise you. There's quite a few players that are... Are familiar to to English supporters. Casper Schmeichel, obviously. Uh, Brentford fans will know of uh, one or two. Is it Henrik Dalsgaard Delsh- and That's Christian right. Norgard? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and there was Matthias Zanka was formerly at Huddersfield. Obviously, we've mm-hmm. mentioned Christian Eriksen, um, Martin Braithwaite as well. Which I- I've got to be honest, I didn't even know he was Danish. Um, <laughs> but he played for <sighs> Middlesbrough at one stage. But he was. But tell us a little bit about the the Danish side and and who we should look out for. Who could be a who could be a potential threat? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I have to say that uh, the coach is new. It will be his not the first game because that will be against Belgium, but against you will be his second game. Casper uh, Duma recently got hired instead of the older coach, uh, Ryder, uh Norwegian. Casper uh, comes in with uh, experience from. FC Neuschland, I don't know if you know that but club, but that's a Danish club in, uh, here, and he also been a head coach in uh, German Bundesliga for Mainz. Right. So it'll be his second match uh, against you, so that's something to look out for, because I think you will ask me sooner or later, well, how will they uh, perhaps line up? And I have no idea. 
right. I, I can perhaps mention five players from the start. The rest will be like up in the air, uh, up until kickoff, I think. You mentioned some of the players you know from the, from England. I also think that people will know uh, Pierre Emil Hoiberg, who's recently signed for Tottenham. And also, I hope that they will uh, recognize uh, Andreas Christensen from uh, Chelsea. Other than that, um, the players that he has decided to call up for this are in Denmark, at least, pretty well known because it's almost the same squad Uge Harald, uh, the last coach that was actually selected. They are only, and I say only in air quotes, uh, three deputants in the side. Right. Um, but who to look for? If, if I didn't say Christian Eriksen, I would be lying. Would lie. I mean, he is our main man. He is the one who makes us tick. He is the one with the assists. He scores goals. And if you ask me if he's a world-class player, I would say he's up there. I'm not sure in, in his current form is he, if he is, but he can be. Uh, and I also think that he will become world-class once again, once he settles in Italy and, and Inter. Other than that, I would say uh, look out for Simon Kier, uh, our captain, plays for AC Milan, recently just transferred there and uh, hasn't lost the game since he transferred. That's all right. Yeah, and he's really, uh, I'm not even exaggerating or anything, he's really uh, relived the defensive structure in Milan. I mean, uh, he plays alongside Alessandro Alessio, or Alessandro, I can't remember, Rob Magnoli, uh, the Italian, and they've been totally stalwart. I mean, I think it's in 14 matches, eight goals uh, conceded or something crazy like that. Wow. And we're talking about a Milan side who, re- like, when they won a match, they won like 4-3 or 3-2. They always let in two or one or two goals. So, yeah. Um, They've really sealed it, uh, and he will be one to watch, I think, if he can continue uh, his uh, current form, because I think it's, uh, you have to take into consideration the fact that the whole COVID-19 and the um, a lot of matches, like every other day, I think they play one match or another, how many players will be tired, how many players will be almost exhausted for playing. I mean, Christian Eriksen played last Friday, for God's sake. I mean, uh, in the final, uh, which they lost, but they still played. Uh, that's crazy. We're talking August. We're talking the next season starts here in like two weeks or something like that. I mean, crazy. Other than that, I hope we will see more to Casper Dolberg. I'm a big fan of his. Plays in Nice in France. He's just a goal scorer. I mean, um, physical, no nonsense player, but has a foot and a strike that if you if you, you try to intercept it, you will get you will get hurt. I mean, <laughs> he has the hardest shot I've ever seen. Uh, so I would say Christian Eriksen, Simon Kier, the captain, and perhaps Kasper Dahlberg. The rest can be good as well, but those three men, uh, also Kasper Smile, of course, but uh, that's like the, the three or four men that have to deliver. If they do that, then I'm happy. Uh, then I think that uh, they can lift the rest of the squad. Okay. I mean, there was one player that I that I noticed, and it was only because they said that he'd been he'd returned to the national team after being away for seven years, which player called, is it Rasmus Falk? Yeah, yeah, that is correct. How, yeah. how has that come about? He played recently versus Manchester United in the uh, quarterfinal, in the Europa, Europa Cup, and uh, he's been really, really good. Uh, the fun thing about Rasmus Falk, if you uh, like such stories, is that uh, he's a boyhood friend of Christian Eriksen. They oh, are the okay. same age. They grew up together. They played in the local squad together. Uh, Christian Eriksen's father was his coach. And now they play together. They are still friends uh, to this day. And uh, oh. now they play together in the national side. I think that's a good story uh, yeah. itself. But uh, uh, Rasmus Falk from uh, Copenhagen is uh, 
oh, I think actually he's almost the only one called off from the uh, Danish Superliga. If not, I think I'm correct about that. Uh, the only player from the Danish Superliga uh, to be called up, West Place in Germany, England, Italy. Uh, so, uh, everyone else is playing abroad. Yeah, we have only one domestic player. That's where we have. Well, which uh, kind of brings us on to what I wanted to to touch on was was obviously the the COVID situation for supporters. Um, even though the game is being played behind closed doors, um, I was going to ask you if if you knew what sort of sort of restrictions were in place, and and that would apply, I guess, both to players coming in from overseas and indeed supporters coming into to Copenhagen. Yeah, well. Um... I'm pretty sure UEFA has said that it will be played behind closed doors, uh, the game itself. So mm. if you're talking about uh, attendances in itself, I don't think there'll be any. If if so, it'll be minimal. We do know a few few England fans that will <laughs> just make the trip just just because. Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, they're more the merrier. But I, I think that um, if you fly to Copenhagen, the airport, uh, you'll be stopped in the airport and you'll be asked to take a test. Uh, you know, like a COVID-19 test. And yeah. uh, there will be some restriction. I don't know if you have to quarantine yourself. It depends really what kind of the part of the world you come from. I haven't got the details right about this, but it depends where you come from. Uh, you have to quarantine, but uh, the same with the players. I know that uh, most of the players now have gone on the summer holidays, but they have already returned to Denmark because they're little, if you were some part of the area, like uh, Matias Sanga, from a place in Fenerbahce in, 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 uh, in Turkey. So that will be like 14 days quarantine, no matter what, and you have to be tested and so on. And he already returned to Denmark so that he will be fit to play in the matchup because uh, well, it's summer holiday, you know, his family here in Copenhagen, but also the fact that he knows that I have to be fit and ready to play. Uh, and yeah. that happens to be that you, you have to quarantine yourself. So he's already done it. I remember as well, I think Daniel Vass from Valencia think he had to do it himself. I'm not quite sure about the Spanish situation completely, but I think he had to do it. Same with uh, Martin Braithway from uh, from Barcelona. Other than that, I don't think there are other restrictions in place. I mean, I think the only thing I know is that the nightlife has closed, uh, so you can't go out uh, like you used to for, for beers or, or clubbing or anything like that. Um, right. Is it sort of a, a lockdown as such? In Yeah, for the uh, entertainment industry, it is. I mean... Um, concerts and uh, what you have whatever you uh, so i know that i think it's at 2 a.m i think they closed the pops uh and this is a, this is actually a trial right now to see if it can it can work so the, uh, usually it was 12 or midnight and they had closed down but now they are trying to have them open to 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 two uh, okay so they are they are still open to, to a certain extent yeah and of course there is the uh there is the carlsberg brewery as well isn't there is that open oh, God, yeah yeah, it's in, in, it's actually in Copenhagen. Uh, it's actually right. what like three kilometers where I live. So you have to take that into consideration because I think they aren't they the sponsor for England as well. I can't remember. Or were they the sponsor? For England? Uh, oh, good question. Uh, they may well have been. God, there might be a conflict of interest there. Might <laughs> I think they? so too. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too because I'm pretty sure they once sponsored England. I don't know. It's like one year or two years ago, but they are also uh, that's one part. They're not the sponsor of Denmark. <laughs> are they not? No, they are not. There's some rules about that uh, due to alcohol and, and so on in Denmark because I think the sponsor in Denmark is a, is a bank and the betting firm, I think. I think those are the main sponsors for Denmark. And we used to have 
which is was more famous as that uh, Lure Pack, you know, uh, the, the butter, uh, was the best oh, known yes. sponsor for, for, for Denmark. I mean, they were everywhere. And um, now it's, uh, no, the brewery has never been the uh, top sponsor for Denmark. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, and what about other things? Traders. For... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't be drinking that. Drink something else. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been, it's been quite quite some time since I went to Denmark. It was mm. a long time ago. What what would you suggest for anyone coming to uh, to Copenhagen to uh, to see and do? Yeah, so well, yeah, I was about to say that because you have the COVID nineteen situation, which doesn't make it even better. But of course, you have Tivoli Gardens, which is in the middle of the uh, the square in Denmark. I mean, it re- is literally in the middle of Copenhagen, where you can go and uh, have a great great that's great food, drinks. It's an amusement park, really. So that's you have to do that if you are in Denmark. Say it's your first time visiting. Other than that, I would say go about in the boroughs as far away from the other tourists and uh, just have a enjoy yourself. I mean, there's a lot to do, a lot to see. Uh, then there is a uh, new harbor, uh, which is the famous for its buildings being other other colors. I mean, I mean, this is there are great. There's many things to do in Denmark, and especially Copenhagen, but. Yeah. Of course, the COVID nineteen situation doesn't make it easier. So no. I have uh, no idea what's open and what's closed. Like for real, I know Tivoli is open, so I recommend to it. Not Casper Brewery. Stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> and is is it the is the Little Mermaid as well down by the the harbour, which which occasionally gets stolen, doesn't it? Yeah, and the, <laughs> her head heads gets chopped off, and political statements get printed on her. I mean, she is really enduring. Uh, but I would say. How, how can I put this politely? If you think that the mermaid, I mean, it's called the Little Mermaid. Uh, <laughs> it's in its name. So she's very, very small. So if the thing you're going to see a statue like Statue of Liberty, you've got to be very disappointed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we wandered off on a bit of a tangent there, but uh, no, it's always good to to hear about um, little things going on in in the cities that mm-hmm. uh, hopefully we can we can all come and enjoy again at some stage. And and the game's going to be played at the Parken Stadium, isn't it? The National Stadium, Denmark. Yep. Yeah. What's what's that like? It's going to be. Have they played many games there without supporters? I think there's one or two only. Uh, the thing about Parken is that it's always been there with Denmark play. Like you have Wembley, we have Parken. Mm. It's also the national. It's also the stadium for FC Copenhagen. Um, and uh, the thing about Parken is that, in itself, it's a great stadium. I mean, it's very. It was built way before, but it got re- uh, renovated in the nineties. So it's it's what you expect from a stadium from the nineties. I mean, it's not the best facil- uh, facilities, but it's okay. What you can expect from it. I mean, um, if you're an Arsenal fan, uh, you, you actually played there when you played Parma in the. Yeah, what, what do you call it? 94 European yeah, Cup, like Cup final. Alan yeah, Smith indeed. scored that one. Yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, so you remember that stage. It was a game that played there. It's one of the most dullest games ever, but it did play there. <laughs> and um, other than that, no, I mean, it's it's not it's not a architectural, what you call it, a great structure of any kind. I mean, it's, it's a fine stadium. The best thing about it, if I have to be completely honest, is that from a TV perspective, it has been praised and praised for the way that you view the pitch on a TV because the cameras are placed. It's actually built to be better for television than it is for the, the attendees going there. Ah. And that's because of how it was in the 90s when the TV really got into his game of football, right? I mean, yeah. so other than that, always it's not the best stadium in the world. I mean, I have been to Wembley. I've been to... 
the Emirates. I mean, come on. I mean, those are big manifold structures that knows how to cater uh, football uh, fans. This doesn't. So if you go, and it's possible in the future that you can go into the park, I hope you're going to watch a good game because you don't go with us with the stadium. I mean, it's good that it is known for being the best um, TV viewing uh, stadium because that's what we're all going to be doing. Exactly. Um, Yeah, so, well, looking forward to the game and and it is unfortunate that we can't be there. But, um, Klaus, thank you very much for your time uh, for telling us a little bit about Copenhagen and Denmark and the game. And and you're on Twitter. Just remind everyone of, of what that account is again. It is at Danish Footy. I will be writing mostly in English uh, about uh, Danish football news. So you can catch up on the latest news perfectly about the game versus England. That's great. And perhaps then maybe we can speak again on the uh, on the return game. Sure. If we win. <laughs> no, no, of course. <laughs> I mean, I'll be delighted to Brussels. This has been fun. That'd be great. Thank you very much for your time. No problem. Take care. Yeah. Thank you to both Klaus and Mark there, and you can find them both on Twitter at Danish Footy and at Mark Bowl, M A R C B O A L, or just search Icelandic Football UK. I enjoyed both of those. I hope you did too. It was good to get back to speaking with people like this, as I now know it means England are closer to returning to action. Thank you also for listening and for your continued support to the podcast. It's the start of a very busy period for international football. Obviously, Iceland and Denmark this month, Wales, Belgium and Denmark all at home next month, then Belgium away and Iceland at home in November. So we'll have plenty of squads to talk about, games to preview and digest and people to speak with. And I still have some of your first away game episodes to release. I'll try and squeeze those in too. Now, if you'd like to get in touch please find me on the social channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search Three Lions Podcast, or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Podcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, enjoy the matches. It's good to have you back, England. If you are heading out to Iceland or Denmark, take care. Likewise, if you're staying at home, take care. Stay safe and stay subscribed. Cheers. <laughs>